I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min football family as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simeon. I'm delighted to say that off the back of a brilliant win for the Gunners and off the back of a really good day at Emirates Stadium in the end, uh, I am joined by the brilliant Mr. Tom Canton from the Guna Talk TV and of course, football.london. Tom, it feels like it's been an age since we sat down to record a podcast together. Yeah, it's because we've both been ridiculously busy. Uh, yeah, as we were just talking off air that this job is, uh, you know, it's a blessing, but it's also, you know, it's, it's a lot of hard work. And unfortunately, it stops us from chatting as much as we maybe like. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I don't know about you, but like, I'm knackered today. Like, mm. I was thinking about it this morning, like, my legs hurt as if I've like played a game of football. Why? Yeah, well, mine hurt because I was... You know that position that you do in the gym sometimes where you've got to do like a seated position against the wall and you've got no chair underneath you? That was basically me throughout the game in the overflow section as my laptop on my on my lap and then trying to like peek over people's heads. So I'm like sitting in this seated position. So yeah, my, my hammies are particularly tight today. <laughs> Did you have to keep getting up? Were people like standing up in front of you? When yeah, because there's like fans two yeah. rows in front. So you just everyone just stands up. So I was like, it did mean that I celebrated quite wildly when we scored because you just get involved in and whipped up in that crowd environment. But yeah, it was uh, it was a workout as well as uh, a watch. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Uh, good stuff. Um, Emirates Stadium was packed yesterday, as you'd expect for a game of that magnitude. The Gunners Coming out on top in the end, thanks to Gabriel Martinelli's deflected effort, but it doesn't really matter, does it? I think we said before the game that we didn't really care if it came off someone's bum cheek, really. It wasn't yeah. wasn't neither here nor there, was it? A goal is a goal. Indeed, yeah, it is. Um, I could not give a toss <laughs> how on earth Arsenal score in these types of games. Over the course of a season, you want to see some, you know, some good signs of play and philosophy and a style and stuff. When it comes to these massive games, you you just want to win and you don't care how you do it, whether it's nasty, whether it's pretty, whether it's, you know, fluky, it doesn't matter as long as you get the three points. And that's something that we've been bereft of for the past near eight years is, is three points in the league against Man City. So, no, it did not matter how it went in. It matters that it went in. Um, but my goodness, four substitutes combining for it is pretty special. Did you think we would win yesterday? Because I didn't in the build-up. I predicted on here that we would lose 3-1, I think is what I went with. Just couldn't see Arsenal keeping a clean sheet, especially against the side of Man City's calibre. And then when the team news came out, I have to feel, I have to say, sorry, like I felt like, I felt less optimistic. I felt like my expectations had just kind of disappeared at that point, the, the little expectations that I had. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I caught you, didn't I, before the game, and I just said, with that news about Saka, my expectations have just gone through the floor. Um, but before the news, before the, the information about Saka, I did predict, I think, 3-1 to Arsenal, and I, I was confident. Um, it was kind of a quiet confidence. And I, the morning of the game, on my 8am, I was really buzzing. I was really energetic and... I felt like I was had been injected with this kind of just euphoria of, of the opportunity that the Arsenal had to play against the City side at home, lacking some key players for the first time, you know, because Arsenal had always been the side to be missing key players. And that obviously still continued for us in the afternoon. But I, I did feel that we could win. Yeah. Um, so I, there was a, be it naive or ignorant, but some confidence there. There was, yeah. Well, I'm glad one of us did because I definitely didn't feel like we were going to win yesterday. Um, also, as well, um, I was with my colleague from from BBC London, Zavi Bird, who's been to who had been to two Arsenal games with me previously, mm. um, and we'd lost both of them. So when I found out that he was coming, I literally was livid. I, I well, was I like, saw Zavi at the Community Shield. And mm. we won that game. So I was a bit like, oh, great. Well, good omens here. But clearly, that's not the case for you. <laughs> yeah, no, we'd lost a couple of games um, that he'd come to with me. And I was really, really, he won't mind me saying this. I was annoyed when I found out he was coming. 
um, but then you know when the goal went in and and we ended up winning the game we we turned to each other and went the curse is broken thank god for that um, which is always good. Um, look, on today's show, uh, we've got lots to get into. Uh, we're going to talk David Raya. We're going to talk Declan Rice. We're going to talk Bukayo Saka and his injury. Um, we're going to do a little bit of a Q&A from the live chat box here. We're also going to take some of the questions that were sent over on Twitter last night. There were so many of them that we didn't get through all of them on the match reaction show. So uh, I want to address some of them and, and who better to help me than the brilliant Tom Canton uh, right here. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel as well if you haven't done so already. We are less than 200 subscribers away now from hitting 30,000 on YouTube, which is it's driving me mad because it feels like the closer we get, the slower the growth is. And, and I'm mm. sure you've experienced that, Tom, when you get towards a milestone. Um, I think people unsubscribe when they see the number. They're like, oh, I can't yeah. be a, a part of this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I think people go, ah, let's just make him wait a little bit longer. I'll unsubscribe for a bit. Uh, but anyway, yeah, if you could help us with that, that would be great. Don't forget to leave a like on the video as always. And if you're listening on the audio platforms, well, then please do leave us a review as well. But I wanted to start off, Tom, by talking about our new goalkeeper, Arsenal's number one. I think you can say that now because of the fact that he's getting the nod in all of the biggest games, North London Derby. Game against Manchester City. He's played in both of the Champions League games. Is there a part of you that wishes Mikel Arteta just told us that David Raya was coming in to be the number one? Um, guess so. Less of a talking point for content creators, I guess, if he kind of just confirms it. But I don't know. I, I still feel very kind of weird about this whole thing. And I shouldn't do. And I don't know why. Because, like, you know, it's not like... We're bringing in a worse player for Ramsdale. Raya is is just as good and in some aspects better. So it's it's strange. I just think there's such a cult following behind Ramsdale. I don't think it's English bias like some people accuse me of having. I don't think it's that at all. I, I think it's just Ramsdale's character and his story that makes him so likable. Um, and the fact that Arsenal took a chance on this guy and he's gone from relegations to helping Arsenal to you know rise into a title race and, and nearly, very, very nearly get there. And so for him to help us get back into the Champions League and for Arsenal to sign somebody and then replace him in the Champions League team, it just feels there's a bit of like unjust about it that yeah. I think has led to this perception of the whole debate. Frankly, the, the bottom line is, is there's no player that's bigger than Arsenal and you need to put you know the club before anything. And with, with Raya, I just feel as though that I've not yet seen enough to make me think, yeah, I'm definitely up for activating that, that 30 million clause, you know, because I'm not necessarily seeing, you know, enough to make me want to jump on that but i am seeing lots of good things at the same time i thought the second half he was excellent um in particular i thought his commanding of his box was great his distribution was great but the first half was questionable <laughs> it was indeed um going back to that point about ramsdale having that kind of following i completely agree with you there because when i was in Lons on tuesday night that feels like a lifetime ago now but on tuesday yeah. night before the game the Arsenal goalkeepers were warming up in front of the corner where we were situated as away fans. And both of them came over to warm up and Raya sort of came over first and he, he gave the, the crowd a little bit of an applause. And there was a, a little bit of that being given back. But when Aaron Ramsdale came, it was completely different. Everybody was up. Everybody was interacting with him. And it just highlighted to me the fact that David Raya still needs to win the fans over, not because he's been bad, not because he's not a good goalkeeper, but just because Aaron Ramsdale is loved so much that he's going to need to be spectacular to kind of turn that opinion around, that fan opinion around. Going to his performance last night or yesterday afternoon, in the first half, I was just so nervous about everything that he did. I mean, yeah. the time where he, he went to clear it and he kicked it against Julian Alvarez and it hit the side net in, my heart was in my mouth. But I'm sure you've seen the press conference. Mikel Arteta defended him didn't he he said i'm the one that is asking him to do that i'm the one that's asking him to to be careful with his distribution because if you keep giving the ball back to a side like manchester city it will ultimately cost you i'm paraphrasing but that's basically what Mikel arteta said do you think that that is true do you think that Mikel arteta wants him to take those risks to that degree and to that level or do you think there was a part of Mikel arteta that was like hold on a minute i've brought this guy in I've upset the status quo by bringing him in. 
I'm yeah. the one that's taking the decision to move Aaron Ramsdale out of the first team, if you like. Now my goalkeeper is getting criticism. I need to step up here and try and divert it away from him. So do you think it was a bit of man management rather than the truth from Mikel Arteta? I think there's an element of both, um, to be honest. I do think he was being instructed to play that way because it was very consistent. Um, you know, it wasn't just like a one-off and it wasn't like after the Alvarez thing, he then started to punt it long. He didn't, you know, it was continued. So there was a clear instruction and that has to come into thinking. I just think that there's an element of Reyes side of things that there's a common sense element of like, you know, you can go long at times, especially if a player is about to, to nick the ball off you and you haven't got an obvious option. But from Arteta's perspective, I think that he's obviously very protective of his players in press conferences countless times I've been on the end of like an answer I didn't necessarily want from a question that I've kind of spent ages thinking about, you know, firsthand what it's like asking questions and not necessarily getting the answer that you think that you're going to get, even though you feel like you know the guy now for the last three even bit years, he still can throw you a curveball and 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 treat you coldly, um, which is yeah. his right if he wants to. But I think that, I think there is an element of, of him trying to deflect attention away from Reyes risks uh, toward him, which is obviously what a good manager will do for his players. But, you know, I, I couldn't help but think that... Um, I can't I can't help but get frustrated about the whole there isn't a number one. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Raya is very clearly the number one. He's, if he wasn't, you know, Ramsdale would be playing the Champions League games as well. Or, like, after the Brentford performance that he had that was excellent, he would have come in you know, for the next game because Raya didn't have the best North London derby and then we had the Carabao Cup and obviously Ramsdale was good so he would have brought him in for the mm. Bournemouth game but he didn't. I, I, that, That's what I think bothers me more is that I feel Arteta is not necessarily saying the full truth when it comes to his view of the goalkeeping situation publicly. But does he, does, he, does he have sure. to do that though? Does he, does he have to? No, of course to... he doesn't. No, of course no as he in, so, because I feel like if he starts saying that Aaron Ramsdale's the like that David Raya is the number one. I beg your pardon. Then yeah. it's almost saying to Aaron Ramsdale that you haven't really got that much chance of turning this it's, around. Is it is it designed to keep them both on their toes? It is, of course. The the issue I have is is the is the specificity of some of his of some, the choices that he's made in terms of the wordage that he's used. Okay. It's when he says about like using them for certain games or certain opponents. And that's why when I did that presser that I asked the question, what do you see different between the keepers that would make you choose one over the other for a certain opponent? To which he was like, I wouldn't tell you why I'd pick Nketiah over Martinelli sort of thing. Yeah. Which I thought was uh, honestly a bit of a cop out. Like He could just say, <laughs> I think Ramsdale's good in these sections. I think he's his strengths. So he'd have to talk, talk about the weaknesses, but you know the strengths that they have that might be slightly different. Um, I think when you start labelling things specifically like... Um, I, I I would choose one for a certain game for the certain characteristics they have, but then just choose one goalkeeper for all of the games, barring a cup game, which you would usually rotate for Matt Turner if this was last season. That that that's kind of the issue that I have with that line of of answering, if you like. Mm. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, I mean, the, the performances from Raya. You know, you look at it and there's been some clean sheets and there's been some games where we look really comfortable as a collective as on and, and on the whole. But I still can't help but feel that the games in which he's been comfortable, it's been because the defence has been great rather than... And I, I know technically he's a part of that, but it's been that more than it's been David Raya really stepping up and making the difference. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I think that we would be on the same amount of points if Ramsdale had started all the games. You know, I don't think that's a controversial take, to be honest. So, um, Reyes going to continue to play. I expect Reyes' option to be um, activated at some point this season. And I hope that he has brilliant success because it means that Arsenal have brilliant success. And if Ramsdale ends up leaving, will I be sad to see him go? Yeah, I will because I like Ramsdale. But, um, you know, it's as I said at the start of this whole thing, you know, it's... It's not a case of one player being ever. There shouldn't. I see that comment in the chat box. I'm Team Ramsdale. That's you shouldn't be. You should be Team Arsenal. You know, you should be. It's not a case of picking one goalkeeper and and, and choosing one because you like them. It's a case of Arteta should pick the goalkeeper that's best for every game, and yep. he feels he's done that. And I can't necessarily fault him, but I wouldn't necessarily say that Ray has been a difference maker for us. If you know what I mean. 
Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people are still kind of a bit confused by this issue and don't really know which way they should be leaning because as you say, you know, th there hasn't really been those standout moments from David Raya. I will say that in the second half yesterday, David Raya was great. Um, I know he didn't have loads and loads to do, but his distribution was much better. He felt a lot more comfortable um, in the situations where the ball was played back to his feet. There was a real Aaron Ramsdale moment at the end, wasn't there, where he sort of brought the ball down on his knee and then sort of dribbled it in towards the middle of his goal, waiting for someone to close him down and then picked it up just to kill a bit of time. That was proper Aaron Ramsdale, wasn't it? Um, but taking it on, let's talk a little bit about Declan Rice. What a performance. I was saying on the show last night that I think Arsenal, just as a goodwill gesture, to just transfer West Ham United another £50 million to say thanks, because he's worth every single penny of what we paid for him. And I have to say, you know, when we signed him, I liked the player and I wanted the player, but I did feel like we were being fleeced a little bit in terms of the price. Now that we're watching him in the flesh week in, week out, I think I was wrong. I, I have to say that. What did you make of his performance yesterday? Oh, it was unbelievably good, but it's it's the same as what we've been seeing all season. You know, it's just, it's obviously on a higher pedestal because it's against Manchester City, but it's the same performance that we've been seeing all season. The best thing, the best compliment to a player that costs so much money is that you never talk about the price tag. That's the best thing that can you can expect from a player that costs that amount of money. And Caicedo has not faced that because they people have been talking about how much Chelsea have, has obviously paid for him. Havertz has not had that because we've been talking about how much we've paid for him. Um, you know, I think some players escape it at times. I think Darwin Nunez is someone who escapes it a little bit, despite him costing 100 million euros, I think it was. Um, or very close to it, but people don't really talk about his price tag, but I don't think he's necessarily um, made good on that investment yet, but it's still fairly early in his time. But for Declan Rice, like, you, if, imagine if it had been City that had signed him instead of us. It would be game over. Like, it would have been season done. Like, Man City are going to win the league and the next however many. But Arsenal securing Rice is not only a benefit for Arsenal, but it's a benefit for the Premier League that Arsenal beat City to that signing because it... If he'd have gone there, it would have created such an element, such a gap, because there is no other midfielder, I don't think, that Arsenal could have gone after, really, like people was, would have said, naturally, Caicedo. But I think Rice is on a different level to Caicedo. I think that he stood out in that that Brighton team for the midfield quarters. And I know that Rice, obviously, was another team where he would naturally stand out. But... He's standing out at Arsenal now as well. He's standing out at this level. He also stood out for England as well amongst all the talent that's there. So he is just that other level. And it means that Arsenal now have two top, top centre midfielders that I hope that we see partnered for the foreseeable future. I hope that the midfield three going forwards will be Partey, Rice and Odegaard. Because I think that if we do partner those two with Odegaard for the foreseeable future, for all the Premier League games that we are able to, then we have a, you know, that is just midfield dominance guaranteed, no matter who you're playing, whether it's City, even with Rodri, I feel that, you know, Rice, Partey, Odegaard, there's an argument that it's up there with De Bruyne, Rodri, and you would probably say Silver, I suppose, in there as well. Um, it's it's up there with that. So only City would rival it with all their starters and everybody else is a level below it or more. So he has just transformed this team. And yeah, you're right to say that people have to hold their hands up about the price tag because it's been so worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we did see some of the squad players come into the picture yesterday. Um, Jorginho, I thought, had a really good game uh, in midfield. I was a little bit worried about him when he picked up a yellow card so early on, but I thought yeah. he did pretty well. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at, I don't think Eddie Nketiah was great yesterday, as I sort of said on the pod yesterday. Um, but, you know, he did a job and, and we've got players that could come off the bench like your Tommy Asus um, that are now a big part of the squad and, and can come on and do jobs in specific situations and under specific circumstances. You can even say the same for Kai Havertz, who came on and did a good job up front in the end. Um, just before we continue, just going to roll a quick clip because I spoke to Mikel Arteta after the game yesterday um, and I asked him about the squad and I also asked him what on earth Takahiro Tomiyasu was thinking 
um, playing like a centre forward towards the end of the game. Have a little listen. Mikel, was the fact that you were able to bring on three substitutes that really impacted the game and, and helped you get over the line a sign of how far the squad has come over the last sort of 12 to 18 months? Yeah, but to utilise the squad at the end, you have to give them minutes, you know, and trust. And uh, and we trust them and, and we made the, the bold decision to make three in a row and they changed the game as well. They were really physical and really, really good in, in every decision that they have to make, the way they applied themselves and then they showed in the goal the real quality. To, to win the game. Sorry, just quickly. Um, Tommy Asu, what was his instructions when he came oh. on? Because it looked like he was playing centre forward. To play forward. as a winger, I think uh, <laughs> I have to learn Japanese better because uh, obviously he had Doku, we had wingers, they were trying to overload that area um, the moment that they made the changes and obviously I wanted to react straight away to that. And then suddenly he's chasing uh, Walker and the centre-back in the other end. But it's, it's the enthusiasm and the energy that the players have as well. So Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. There Mikel, you go, was Mikel the fact that you were able to bring on yeah. three substitutes. Well, you really want to show us that clip, Harry? That I, 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 I hate StreamYard, for God's sake. I don't know why it loops the clip. It's so annoying. Oh, maybe because I've got loop tracks highlighted. That's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. you got to love it. you got to yeah, love it. Gotta love it. <laughs> Trying to do, I was cu literally cutting that clip as well while you were talking, which is why I was looking at the other screen the other way. I wasn't being rude. I was trying to cut the clip at the same time. I should have done it before, really. But anyway, um, I want to quickly talk about Bukayo Saka. Then I want to quickly mm. touch on the team as a whole before we dive into the questions. I can see the chat boxes quite lively this evening. So keep those questions coming in and we'll pick out as many of them um, as we possibly can. I've got to address this super chat. I've had some issues with my mic recently. Not, not, not the mic specifically, but the fact that it's plugged into like this adapter and then sometimes the adapter's a bit funny and I lose connection midstream, which I know you've experienced before. Um, and whenever that happens, everybody goes, it's that dodgy mic that Tom sold you. Um, I have to confirm that I haven't purchased any microphones from from mr tom canton uh but james bond says tom refund harry for that broken mic he sold him and harry we're not giving west ham a dollar more we need that money to buy netto in january um tom you've been quite across this netto stuff is, is there anything in it to your knowledge yeah there is um arsenal already like him um and certainly are keen on him and uh that's not a new thing. You know, he's been a player that the club has, has appreciated for since he signed for Wolves, really. You know, they were tracking him before that as well. And um, obviously, the injuries have really stunted his his development in his early years. He's still only 23, which is a great age to, to, to be brought in. And what I think Arsenal have been most impressed by is the fact that he's had periods where he missed, I think it was something like 50-plus games in succession he missed for Wolves, and then had another period where he missed another 20-plus games, which I know that people will look at and say, well, that's a worry. But the knee was like, uh, I was talking to, I was talking to Kai about this on our podcast on Football London this morning, and he was right to point out that it was like a dislocated kneecap that he had, which is not like an ACL knee injury where like the, 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 because once you do your ACL, and you rupture your ACL. It's not like a bone or a muscle that can recover. Once your ACL is gone, it's gone. You know, you can get reconstructive surgery, which use other body parts. Like I, I did it and had like my uh, hamstring tendons um, reconstructed into or part of the, um, the tissue reconstructed into the ACL. Or you can have the cadaver surgery, which is obviously like a donated um, ACL from somebody else that is, is put in there. But you can't grow them back. Whereas a, like a patella dislocation is very specific and very different. And you can obviously reattach and surgically repair that um, if there's obviously no damage to the, the other things with inside the knee. And then the other one, I think, was an ankle injury, which, again, is not, uh, as far as we're aware, something that has, has, has flared up again since the injury. And what I would say is that I've almost stopped Harry considering injuries as a factor with signings because it doesn't matter how injured they are. They get injured at Arsenal. You know, players just get injured, whether they're injured or not, before coming in. So why why do I need to be worried about injuries and injury records? Because whether Partey's not ever been injured or Rice has never been injured, they still get injured when they come to Arsenal. So I've almost stopped considering it as like a big, yeah. big factor, unless it's like they play like two games a season. But yeah, the club like him and uh, it's one to keep an eye on as we go toward January. There's something in the water at Arsenal, it feels, when it comes to injuries. Speaking of injuries, uh, Bukayo Saka is currently injured and, as a result, missed out on yesterday's game. That was um, his record, his run of 87 
uh, consecutive Premier League appearances brought to an end there uh, because he just wasn't fit enough to participate. Am I right in saying, Tom, that he did not train all of all of the week leading up to the game? No. I think that's what no. I read and heard. Yeah, no, he didn't. He didn't train. That's why so he wasn't in trained. the squad because he couldn't train. So he's not trained. He's not in the squad. Clearly, he's he's not in a great place in terms of his injury that he's carrying. But also, I think there there is an issue of fatigue there. We've seen it, I think, with our own eyes. I know people always say, well, you know, the club have got their sports science department and they've got their metrics and all of this. And I get all of that. But I think with the eye test, we could all see that Bukayo Saka wasn't quite at his best. I've been really angered today by the fact that England are insisting that he reports in so that they can assess his injury. This kid has looked fatigued, as I say, for weeks. It, this goes back even to last season, if you want to sort of really dig into this. The fact that he would miss a game, meaning that his 87-game run of consecutive appearances in the Premier League came to an end, suggests that he really bloody couldn't play. And, you know, he's, he's a great player for Arsenal. He's missed one of the biggest games of the season. He's a great player for England. And all we hear about is player welfare this and player welfare that. What on earth are England playing at? And, you know, when we spoke to Arteta after the game yesterday, he was asked the question whether Saka would be fit enough to play for England. And he, he didn't even dance around it. He categorically said no. He said he's not fit to play football right now. That's why he's not in the squad. Why are England insisting on making him report to training? Do they not believe Arsenal? Is there a, a relationship breakdown between the club and the national team? It, it just seems wild to me, wild, unnecessary. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to rush him back to availability ahead of the Italy game, which is a game that they don't really need him for. You've got Foden, you've got Grealish, you've got Bowen. Bowen, you've got a ton of players. What, what's the need? Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I wrote quite passionately about this in the week, uh, about my frustration with Gareth Southgate. You know, I, I am an England fan, obviously, as well as an Arsenal fan. It's not, it's never as well ingrained as my Arsenal attachment. You know, if you get asked the question, would you rather your club win the Champions League or your you know, country win the World Cup? It's it's Arsenal winning the Champions League all day long. Um, just to give a, a context to, to my thoughts, but I can't, I, I have so many issues with Gareth Southgate. I know that you know that, and we've had obviously debates about Gareth Southgate, but the selection wise always is baffling. But the specific, the specificity of the Saka situation is even more frustrating because it's a friendly, as you say, against Australia. Yes, it's probably our England's toughest qualifier against Italy, sure, but they've already got a very good points tally that there is not really a question about whether England are going to qualify from this group. Um, they're going to qualify because they're, they're going to win the rest of those games. That you know They've got such a depth of talent, this England squad. And not having Saka there, you know, if you want to kind of describe it in, in one way, it's like Arsenal not having Saka is far more damaging than England not having Saka. That's the depth that that England squad has um, in multiple positions. And I, and you've got left footers as well. So there's not a case of like, he's the only right wing left footer. You've got Foden that could play there. You've got Bowen that can play both left footed right wingers. Well, I know Foden's not an out right winger, but he certainly has and can play there. But Bowen is a, a, a left footed right sided player. So that doesn't change tactically like what you want to do. And it's within the England's interest to give Saka and make sure Saka has relevant rests throughout the course of this season going into an international tournament in the summer. You're not learning anything from Saka being in the team. You know what he gives you. You know what he's about. You know where he's going to play. You know he's going to start. You know, learn more by using other options. If, say, for instance, we get to the end of the season and Saka has a terrible injury and is missing for the Euros, start learning what the other options can give you. This is a perfect time to trial that situation. Arteta said in his press conference uh, that he's not available to play football at the moment. That's as big of a sign as you can get from the club. That's side as things. blunt as you can put it, right? Yeah. He's not available to play football. Like yeah. literally to the point, he's not available to play football. Why are, why are England even pushing this? That's just a, it's incompetence and uh, just poor decision making. Maybe it's maybe it's a pride thing of, you know, we won't be told what to do. Some mm. people say Saka. There's there's emphasis on Saka himself to take a decision because I, I believe there is an element of he can turn around to England and say, I'm not ready. But I have pointed out to people that it is very difficult 
to say no to your country if you are called upon, especially when you're a young guy that loves playing football and that has lived and breathed minute after minute, as we say, 87 consecutive starts for Arsenal. You miss a game and it's like, it's not like us when we miss, a, you know, an international break comes and we miss Arsenal for a week. This is someone that plays football every single day of their life. And you're asking them to have the front turn around and say, look, no, no, I can't necessarily have um, that that feeling about it. I, I just can't. Um, update, though, <laughs> Harry, there's an update. He has just withdrawn from the England squad. <laughs> has he? The timing of that, literally two minutes ago. Two minutes two ago. Minutes ago. I was just about to bring, um, I was just about to bring this up. Hold on. Uh, where is it? There was a, a a thing that came up on Ask Blog News just a minute ago saying Saka reports. Whoops, have I made Tom disappear there? I'm getting really bad at this stuff. Here we go. Um, Saka reports for England duty. That was like an hour ago, but apparently he's withdrawn. Who's put the tweet out? Where's that come from? Uh, England, the England Twitter account three minutes ago has said uh, an update from the Three Lions camp as Bakaya Saka withdraws after being assessed by England's medical team, Speedy Recovery, Bakayo. So the so, point still stands yeah. then. They still made him go there so that they could check. Yeah, yeah. So it's, the full report <laughs> is Saka will not be part of England's fixtures with Australia and Italy. The forward report to St George's Park on Monday alongside the rest of the squad. Having missed Arsenal's game against Man City through injury, Saka was assessed by the England medical team and it was decided the player would continue his rehab at his club no replacements are planned, which I also find mad because Sterling's been doing very well for Chelsea. So Agreed. to not call him up just seems, again, a really stubborn, silly decision by Southgate. Yeah, well, there's been a few of those, hasn't there? Uh, we're going to take a really, really short pause and then I'm going to ask Tom one more question before we dive into your questions. So start getting them into the chat box and we'll pick up as many of those as we possibly can. We'll be back just after this. <laughs> Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast with myself, Harry Simeon, and of course, the main man, Mr. Tom Canton. Shall I call Sophie calls you Tom Canton, doesn't she, is sometimes? The, is that the Greek in her? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I need to ask her where that's come from. I don't, I don't know. Is yeah, it? she just loves the proper enunciating. That's, mm. It's just Canton, like, it's, yeah. you know thought so yeah. just just play yeah. i'm not the biggest fan of it because of the obvious man united link with yeah just add an a on the end yeah yeah, yeah well, that's how i used to always whenever anyone be like how do i spell it when i was younger i used to play it's just Cantona without the a and they were like oh okay fine i've <laughs> oh, got it now all good um i wanted to ask you this question tom um because it's in the title of the video it's or video slash podcast it is something that i've been thinking about a lot today have Arsenal grown up based on what you saw yesterday? I know it's difficult to make that kind of wide assessment and judgment and come to a big old conclusion off the back of one game. But did you see enough yesterday in terms of the way Arsenal set up, the way they approached the game, the way they managed it, to suggest that they have grown up and that lessons have been learned? Yeah, not just grown up from a mental standpoint. I think they've grown up physically. We're a massively bigger side now as well. Um you know, Habert's coming in, Rice coming in, uh, the Tommy Assey when he goes into a fullback position, White moving to right back. Um, we are a much bigger team now. And I think that, you know, in the dress, you know, we always, I know our good friend Lee Judges always talks about, you know, back in the day we would win, uh, we would win uh, games in the in the tunnel. And I think that is, it's true. You know, you, you can be in, intimidating and imposing and, you know, the team look across the field and see the Giants on the opposition side. And that's important. I think Arteta has definitely led a strategy towards that. But not only that, but you're right in to point out the mental side of things. We are so much smarter. We're not perfect. And I think if you look back at that North London derby, it will tell you that sometimes the emotions of a game do get the better of us. And we can lose our composure and we can make mistakes. But I think that just defensive astuteness has been such a clear theme throughout this season. Another clean sheet. You know, how many have we got now? Is it four or five of these eight games we've kept clean sheets in? We've had Palace, Bournemouth, City, obviously the Brentford Carabao Cup game we did as well. The PSV yeah. Champions League game, that's five. I think there's one more um, that I'm have forgetting. Uh, I'm sure Bournemouth, Brentford, PSV, Everton away. Everton away. That? Yeah, that's the other one. So that's six clean sheets across three competitions, 10, 11 games. 
six, you know, it's higher than 50% of your games that you're keeping a clean sheet in fantastic record. And that comes from, you know, whilst we're not necessarily clicking, creating wild amounts of chances, the famous adage of, you know, goals win games, but defences win titles is very true. Um, if we was Mike from the Gunas pod, I'd be, you know, pressing the bell right now. But it's just, <laughs> it is just the reality that Arsenal and Arteta in particular, as soon as he came into the Arsenal were known as being a side that just shipped goals for fun. Just letting silly gave away penalties, gave away red cards, and that persisted into quite a large part of the start of Arteta's tenure. And certainly mistakes are still evident, and it's part of the game. They will continue, because it's just about restricting the amount of mistakes you make, restricting the number of chances. You know, that's the first... Man City had four shots, the most they've had, the least they've had since, what, 2010? I think I saw a stat. Um, Barcelona against Espanyol in 2010, 13-odd years, or something like that, They've since they've had, since a Pep Guardiola side has had four or less shots. We are keeping teams very quiet and the defence is doing great work in blocking attempts on goal. And that's really key as well. So, yeah, there is a great assurance. There's a greater understanding now working with Arteta. It's another benefit of the whole not having the shotgun approach to managers. Don't change your manager every other year. Don't change your manager every six months in the case of someone like Chelsea. Allow them to establish their philosophy and allow the players to better understand what they want. And you will start to see things like we are seeing this season. Yeah, completely agree. Um, let's move over to some of the listener questions. Uh, there were a few really, really good ones on Twitter. I went through them earlier today. I, I, I screenshot a few of them because some of them were quite similar, so I didn't want to duplicate too much. But um, there was one relating to Kai Havertz, and this one came from Paulie uh, AFC. His handle is at Island 33 He said, after that cameo, should Kai Havertz now be used as a striker? made a huge impact when he came on? Uh, without question, I think centre-forward is the best position for him to be used in for me. If, if not that, then just off of the centre-forward, which you're not going to see because Erdegaard's always going to play where he plays. If it was me, I would have started Havertz as centre-forward yesterday. I would have played him you know, where Enketia played. And I was happy with Enketia's performance. I know people said it wasn't good enough and that it was underwhelming. I actually think that it was a quite similar performance to the Man United game where he just ran and ran and, you know... The, the, the crowd were really in support of Eddie. They may have Eddie chance that there were yesterday because they really appreciated his effort and his um, his aggression in the game was really good. There was one, I don't think it was anything good, but he kind of slid in on, uh, who was it? Who was it playing right back or right? Was it Walker? Walker, yeah. He did on him. Got nowhere near him. Nowhere near the ball. And everyone was just like, yeah, go on, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's that appreciation of Eddie's effort and obviously he's a Halen boy as well. But for Havertz, without question, I think if we are to use him, the majority of games I'd rather see him play up top. You know, I think now with Partey back, we'll probably see Rice, Partey and Odegaard be that midfield three, as I say. So I think Havertz's chances will come more in a centre-forward position. Yeah, and, I, and I've been saying that since we signed him. You know, I've been saying that, you know, he, he for me was a good signing as someone that could provide cover pretty much anywhere across the forward line. And if you're chasing a game, if you need a goal, if you're playing at home against a side that you can't break down, then yeah, you want to chuck him in as an extra midfielder, that's fine. But generally speaking, I think he upsets the balance a little bit when he plays in midfield. So for me, he's a forward um, and and that's where I want to see him play and moving forward. He gives us something different up top that we don't have in any of our other options. The ability to go that little bit longer um, and to give us a bit of an outlet. Because I don't know about you, but I felt like on around about 60 minutes or so, Manchester City was starting to have a lot of the ball and you started to feel like they were building up to something. And every time we cleared it upfield, there was just no one there for us to make it stick and to give us that little bit of respite. And when Kai Havertz came on, we, we seemed to have that. And obviously he played a part um, in the goal. Uh, a couple of questions about David Raya, but we kind of touched on that earlier on, so I'm not going to go uh, too much into it. Um, always a gooner says, why were people doubting Arteta and his lineup before the game? I wasn't doubting Mikel Arteta specifically. Like, I didn't feel like it was yeah. on Mikel Arteta. Mm. I felt like because of what he had available to him, we couldn't possibly be at our best. And therefore, I didn't think we had a great chance of winning the game. But I wasn't picking on Mikel Arteta when I said before the kickoff that I'd happily take a point. And, and I mean, Tom, I'm sure you share sort of similar feelings. It wasn't about Mikel Arteta, was it? It wasn't about decisions that he had taken. It was about the fact that we were without key players. Yeah, of course. I, I, as I said, if you watch my 8am show, 
you would not think the person that did that show would tweet an hour before kickoff that my expectations just went through the floor because I was so up for the game and so mm. pumped for it and so confident that we could get something from it. That when that news came out about Saka, it was such a gut punch. I was like, oh, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it mattered if even if we'd have started Havertz, you know, at centre forward like I wanted, I still would have felt gutted that that Jesus wasn't being able to play because he's been so good at centre forward when he's played there, really. Um, and by the way, I thought Jesus was excellent on the right. Oh, um, so good. And, and this is why I don't like him on the left. I don't think that's his best role because I don't think he can run at the the opposition in the same way i think that he's great on the right because he can kind of play to the touchline and then burst into the the right space in the right half space and get cutbacks if he needs to and he can still play closer to that center forward position he's not the he's not a cut inside and you know he's not an inverted winger if he is to play i just don't see him in that fashion he's a wide forward that can play on the right um and I don't think he's necessarily a number nine either as kind of like stylistically. He probably is a winger playing at striker. But if he is to play on the wing, it has to be on the right. But yeah, I, the whole confidence about the lineup, it was only spawned from the Saka news. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, just quickly touching on Jesus. We'd seen him play on the wing before prior to his arrival at Arsenal. And it was always on the right for Manchester mm. City. It's always been on the right for Brazil when he's filled in in that role. And um I just think what he brought yesterday was just a constant threat. Like Vardio, I thought, had a difficult time up against him. I know it wasn't yeah. Vardio's preferred position, but he always had something to think about with Jesus there. And in the second half, we started to see him operate really, really well in some really tight spaces around about the byline. And when you've got that little bit of spark, that little bit of magic that you can sort of dance in and out of people and in and out of challenges and, and just create those half a yard of space, you're a real, real threat. And that's what Gabriel Jesus brings that, I don't think anyone else in our squad brings to the same degree and to the same level. Just that unpredictability, you know, I think he's brilliant. I, I, I adore the guy. I think he's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Ivan Tony's not an upgrade. Just going to put that out there. <laughs> he's not. He's absolutely not. I agree with you. I agree with you. Ivan Tony is a penalty merchant. Is that fair for me to say yeah, that? He is. Oh, he is. People, the amount of time people turn to me and are like, he got 20 Premier League. I'm like, no, he got 14 from open play, like, yeah. which is three more than Jesus, who missed a third of the season. Like, it's nowhere yeah. near as good as people make out. I really yeah. hope we don't sign him. Me too. I don't particularly buy into his character either. Like, I, yeah, I, I mean, and look, forget the betting thing aside. You know, yeah, I, I, I don't care part. about that. I don't care yeah. about that. Genuinely, yeah, like, yeah. he made a mistake. He's been punished for it. That's it. It's line drawn yeah, under yeah. it. Like, he hasn't hurt anybody else. It's his own issue, and it's been dealt with, we think. Yeah. And he's been punished for it, and it's fine. I've Literally, it's nothing to do with that for me either. Yeah. I just think he's overrated. <laughs> just, you know. And look, if he was, if, if Arsenal sign him, I hope he absolutely proves me wrong, always. But I just think he's overrated. Yeah, me too. Me too. Okay, um, let's go over to the chat box for a few more of your questions. Leeds Gunner, Tom, are we going to win the league? Yes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got this one from uh, Chaitu who says, Hey, Tom, looks like Arteta's heard me. Rice and Jorginho in the middle. And it worked, contrary to popular belief, that Jorginho is not good enough. He was so good yesterday, mm. but it just goes to show, as Chaitu's highlighting, that if he's got the right setup around him, he can be a really effective player. What did you make of his performance? And would you like to see him play more as a result of what we saw yesterday? Only if Partey's not available. You know, he's, he doesn't start if, if the player's available. But I think it was a big middle finger to those that battered him after the Spurs game. Because it was just a mistake. Like, it was yeah. just an error. It, it doesn't undermine his ability. It doesn't undermine his talent or why Arsenal signed it. It was just a silly mistake that players make, you know. And it sucks that it was in that game in that moment. Um but for me, like Arsenal have the best three defensive midfielder, defensive midfield group in the world. I don't think there's a club that has a better group of defensive midfielders than us. And 10 million quid well spent, in my view, like a really good depth option. We didn't panic in that January window when we didn't get Caicedo after trying to bid for him. We couldn't get Rice then like we wanted to. And we just signed, we just spent 10 million quid, which is a very, very good amount of money in this window with a player that has Champions League winning experience. European Championship winning experience, 
It's very calm. He's played plenty of those games before. He's won a Champions League final against City. And that showed in yesterday's game. Yes, he got an early card, which was... Yeah, I thought it was a little naive when he did bring it because I think there was a lot of players covering that moment. But who am yeah. I to say that? Yeah, because we didn't concede a goal. So maybe it would have been different if he hadn't done that. But yeah, I, he he dealt with things really, really well. It was one of those where if he didn't commit the foul and they did go through and make something of it, everybody would have gone, Jorginho's too slow in midfield yeah. and he's been overrun again. Um, and I do think, like, I, I know people have highlighted the, the Declan Rice effect and, and how that propped up Jorginho's performance. And I certainly think that that is a thing. I really, really do. And obviously having... Saliba and Gabriel behind you is way yeah, different to having Rob holding. Yeah, absolutely. But I do think that if you watch the game back, which I did this morning in full, you'll find that he was left in an isolated position as the lone man at the base of the midfield on numerous occasions. It wasn't like Declan Rice was standing there holding his hand. He was just incredibly responsible in possession when he got the ball. Um, he was progressive quite often as well. Um, which the statistics tell us, but also watching the game, you could see it as well. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was a really, really good performance from him. Um, I'm going to take one more because we are uh, pushed for time. Um, Sammy Guna says, why does Martinelli um, not get the praise on a, a regular basis? He doesn't seem to be rated as having the same level of some of our other players. I think for me, Gabriel Martinelli is one of the most useful weapons that we have in the in our armory in terms of what he brings to the table pace power directness um a threat in behind an energy that you know it's very rare to find in football players i just think he's superb and yeah. you know Mikel arteta told that little story didn't he in the press conference about how you know martinelli was desperate to get back from for this game desperate to play a part and when trossard pulled up the way he did he was you know, sort of waiting ready with his kit on to, to sort of come on and, and impact the game. He is as good as any forward we have at the club. Would you agree with that? I think I'm I'm really glad Sammy's worded that the way that um, they have, because uh, I think that I think that from my perspective, I've been guilty of not rating him as highly as he should be. I mean, I did. You remember when Potsy was asking us about who we think is world class? Yeah, and I'd sent him a link to that piece I wrote about. I thought we, I think we have eight world class players in the team in the squad, mm. and I didn't include Martinelli in that group. I said he was kind of just off that group, but I put Saka in that group, and I sit back and I reflect on it and think, I know obviously we're in the euphoria of the goal against City, of course, which I think maybe does play a part in the discussion to some degree, but why isn't Martinelli considered as, for me and and others, as good as Saka because? I think he scores as many goals as Saka does. I think he assists. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't assist as many goals as Saka does, but he certainly scores as many goals as Saka does. And he's certainly as important probably to our team. I know I know that there's an argument that we've got more depth on the left that makes it more so that Saka's more undroppable because we've got Trossard and Smith-Rowe and um, you know these players that could play Nelson uh, on the left-hand side. But I think that's probably the reason why Martinelli is not as rated as highly because we've got a lot of depth on the left where we don't have that on the right. So yeah. Saka is is more is less uh, expendable than than what Martinelli is, but yeah, he, I think he probably is, you know, in that bracket. I don't know what I, I don't know what more he has to do to be considered a world class talent. I think he probably is a world class talent. I don't know what more he could do. Really, he got fifteen odd goals didn't he last season? So yeah, yeah. same as Saka, same as Saka. Yeah. For, yeah, for me, last season was the season that Martinelli went from being a good player to a great player. That was that last season, the impact he had on games, the number of goals he contributed, the fact that he terrorised some defences and all the rest of it. That was his season where, for me, he was consistent over the duration of a campaign. Mm. I know he'd had injury problems before that, which obviously didn't help him in that sense, but he was consistent. He was mm. almost an ever-present, um, you know, with the exception of a, a handful of games. But last season was the season for me where his level went up to a new level. And I think we've been... You know, we, we look at Leandro Trossard sometimes and we think, yep, great. And it's great that we got him for what we paid for him and, and that we brought him in and we didn't go and spend the money that we were going to spend on Mikhailo Mudrik and all the rest of it. But Martinelli, for me, just has this game-changing ability because of all the attributes that we've discussed that Leandro Trossard has in other ways. But if 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 I were a fullback, I'd rather play against Trossard than Martinelli any day of the week. Oh, the yeah, without a doubt. Us. That was his 99th league game against City. Um, he's played 137 um, games for Arsenal in all competitions. 
and he's 22. Like, that's an astounding number. I know Saka, I think, has got something like, I'm going to guess, probably more than 150, maybe closing on 200 games, maybe for Arsenal. And he is just 22. Uh, I'm just going to quickly check the stats on that. Yeah, so Saka has played 189 uh, games for Arsenal. Um which is staggering, really. I think that maybe includes a couple of youth, four youth games I've got for the under-21s here as well. So 185 at least, uh, and that's 142 league games for Arsenal. But like Martinelli obviously had that bad knee injury as well that kept him out for a long period of time. And he probably would have the same number of appearances as Saka if he hadn't had that knee injury. And then Smith-Rowe, of course, broke into that left-hand side for a long period too. So it is very impressive how many games our young players have. And that's why people say, Arsenal have got a young team, they're still learning. I'm like, yeah, we do have a young team, but they're actually a really experienced young team. And Martinelli is definitely part of that. And now he's a full Brazilian international as well. He's got a big job breaking into that team because you've got Vinicius and Rodrigo, of course. Mm -hmm. But he'll get minutes without a doubt. He'll be the first name on the team sheet when Vinicius is not there. So, Yeah. yeah. And I don't mind that. It's good that we don't have to have, you know, a starter for Brazil because we've got Vinicius there. It means he's less likely to get injured. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll take that all day. Absolutely. And as Vlad points out, 15 non-penalty goals, seen as we're talking yeah, about penalty goals, point. worth remembering as well. Right, guys, thank you so, so much for joining us. Uh, big thanks to Tom Canton of the Guna Talk TV and Football.London. Uh, Tom, let people know how they can find you. Your channel is tagged in the title, so they can just click and it will take them straight over. But for those that are listening on audio, let them, let them know. Yeah, you can find me at the Guna Talk every morning at 8am, uh, every single day. Uh, I'm going to be on holiday this weekend. And guess what? Still going to do... The 8 a.m. show. It's still going to happen. Have a um, day off, Tom. Have a day off. I did off. the other week. I got food poisoning and I had to miss it. But uh, that was painful and I hated not doing it. So, uh, what did yeah, you eat? You can find me what did you eat? There. Huh? What did you I eat? Went, I went to a restaurant in London. I won't name it because that'd be unfair because I don't think anyone else got ill. So, I'm just one of, you know, one of the unlucky ones. But I had, we did this like 10 course tasting menu where like you have to put your and it's called uh, i guess if i name it, it becomes very obvious but it's an ironic name of it where you have to kind of put your faith in the the chef that you don't know what they're going to serve you but turns out what he served me was uh, a load of bacteria that made me very ill <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah um but thanks harry for having me on always appreciate it. and listeners please make sure you subscribe because as harry says it's incredibly frustrating seeing that number tick <laughs> towards a milestone and it not hit it. So please, if you're not subbed, make sure you subscribe. Thank you very much, man. Uh, we'll see you all soon with more. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode. Haven't decided what we're going to talk about yet. guess we'll figure it out tomorrow. But until then, take care of yourselves. Have a great evening and all the best. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.